Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have pumped on in. The Giants have won the pennant. Brad, guess what? We're still in first place. Hey, look at that. Another 500 week, and we're still in first place. It tells you everybody else is performing under where they should be performing because we were supposed to be in third or fourth place right now. Do you know what the Dodgers' last 10 games look like? Oh, God, please tell me. And you can say it a couple times because I'm going to relish in it. They've only won two games out of those 10 games. So the last 10 games, they are two and eight. The sad thing about that, though, is you think about a team going two and eight. Mm Mm-hmm. The Giants are still only two and a half games ahead of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. But and the, the, the D-backs are also uh, falling a little bit as well. They, they went three and seven, so they're a little bit further back. But look, I'm not going to complain. The Giants, the team that we pretty much figured to be the third best team in the NL West, is still in first place. They have the second best record in all of the National Leagues, just a half a game behind the Cardinals. But you know what's so weird? And, you know, looking at these baseball standings, you have one team with, in the, we're just talking National League, with a 600 win percentage. That's the Cardinals, exactly at 600. The Giants are at 588. And then after the Giants is like the Mets at 552. What that means is that this, this is like the NFL's dream where everybody is almost playing 500 football, right? Like everybody's got a chance, you know, maybe you, the only two teams I I would say that, that maybe even only one team that looks really bad right now is the Rockies at 12 and 22, even the nationals 13 and 17. Part of that is because I think they like missed like the whole first week of the season. And even the pirates are only five games under 500. So this is like a, an, a funky baseball season where, you know, we could be going well into September and just a handful of games separating a lot of these divisions, which is which is cool. It's great for baseball. Yeah. I don't know what it says about the quality of some of these baseball teams. Uh, my guess is that the Dodgers will come back. They're not going to play 500 baseball and have Trevor Trevor Bauer throw fits. Um, but <laughs> but you know the, the, this is uh, this may be that one funky season that actually works out for the Giants as long as they kind of play that game of you know win three lose three win four lose two win three lose that you know as long as they play that game where they don't just all of a sudden go on a bad losing streak they they could be in business here and i'm i'm actually thinking that as we're only 34 games at least for the giants into the season you know last year 34 games was like half the whole thing more than half the whole thing so we'll have we'll see if they have a little bit of um of stamina here to kind of push out a little bit because 20 and 14 if you told me at the beginning of the season that was going to be the record i absolutely 100 percent take that oh oh absolutely and and just the fact that they've had back-to-back 500 weeks uh it, you know it's tough to swallow because especially you just threw it out there earlier colorado is 12 and 22 the worst team in the national league we just got coursed like big time. We mm-hmm. you go into Coors and you go, oh, well, there's a, this is a bad Rockies team. Doesn't matter. Giants 
in Colorado, any other team really in Colorado, uh, and you're not getting out of there unscathed, something's going to happen. It's not going to be like, oh, we swept these guys. We had a three-run lead in all three of the games and everything was totally fine. It, that doesn't happen in Colorado. So to, um, to leave there the way we did hurt pretty, pretty badly, but then to come home and take care of San Diego the way we did. That was night. Yesterday was a stinker. Uh, Sunday's game, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Here's your gift. It's a big pile of poo. Um, <laughs> I mean, the game, the game was awful, but you know, but they have a chance to bounce back this week. That's what, and that's what we always say. We love so much about baseball is if you fall flat on your face the day before you can come back and you can win 12, nothing the next it, day. It, it's really the best that yeah it's it's the best thing about the sport it's yeah why the, exactly. it's why the regular season and the 162 games why all that stuff matters well and you're starting to see like you said too the mets are starting to rise last week not so much now they're three games over 500 they're playing good ball the cardinals i mean that that shocked me to look at the standings today too and see that the cardinals were 21 and 14 when they were just kind of flailing around a week and a half ago uh, milwaukee same thing three games over and that was a division where you couldn't get a team uh, to play 500 ball. I mean, it was just, you know, it was ugly to watch in that division for the first couple of weeks. But, you know, uh, baseball is a 162 game season. Things happen, things change, uh, and it's going to be up and down all season long. But anytime you could take a, a snapshot on your phone of that, you know, Giants in first place and post it, you do that just because it's fun. Absolutely. So, Let's talk a little bit about the week that was. You mentioned we got coursed, but the Giants came back home and, you know, this Padres team, we know they're good. They're they're not playing consistently. They're not playing their best baseball. They have their own injury problems, but they took two out of three. And, you know, like you said, the, the big stinker, but they looked like they could play a seven game series against the Padres and go into game seven. Like, that's what I took away from that series, which is talent to talent. The Padres probably have a little bit more of that, like, star talent, you know, with Machado and Tatis. But depth and just the the type of uh, ball players that, that both teams have, both that, you know, they have players that fight. I thought the Giants matched, in, and we've seen, I don't know how many games they played against Padres, so it feels like they've already had three series or so. They, the, Giants they are gonna, <laughs> the Giants are going to play these guys very competitively, which I think bodes well for when they play the Dodgers because the Padres play the Dodgers very competitively. Yeah. And to see the Giants go after Snell and Musgrove, I mean, that's their, uh, you know, pretty much their two and three right now. Uh, Snell and Musgrove, they didn't get, um, they didn't get you Darvish, thankfully, in this series because he last time we saw him, uh, I, God, what did he strike out? 12 in like five innings, six innings, five and a third or something like that. Uh, it was nasty. But to, but Snell's always had a little bit of control issues, uh, especially against the Giants. They can kind of work him for walks. So in four and two thirds innings on uh, Friday night, the, the Giants walked six times. So they got a lot of base runners. Um I had, you know, we didn't talk about this on the last show, but I had pulled a bunch of stuff about the Giants leaving so many runners on base. Yes. It's just been outrageous. They toned that down a little bit against the Padres, um, but it, it's still, you know, they left 
well, I shouldn't say toned it down a little bit. They left 15 on base yesterday, 19 on base Saturday, and then they left 15 on base on Friday. So really, they didn't tone it down that much. Uh, but the fact that they're getting runners on base, you know those big hits are coming. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, Yaz still has to gel. Uh, Ruff is uh, here and there showing some signs. Uh, you know, so there's still some guys that have to get going a little bit um, and, and still don't have Donovan Solano back. Listel is going to be out for quite a while. Uh, and, and those guys being gone really hurt a lot. And, and so, but, but just the fact that the Giants are still getting runners on base and being competitive, that's the thing. And that's who they were last year. They were getting runners on base and then they were hitting home runs. It's only May. Uh, weather's still going to heat up. They still have to go to you know, St. Louis, they still have to go to Arizona. They're going to hit more home runs. Uh, it's just not there yet. So, so like you said, that competition, that playing the Padres tough, here, here's going to, here, here's the key. So they play the Colorado Rockies tough, but then they go into Colorado and drop two out of three when they should have easily won uh, two out of three. Two funky Colorado games though oh, at the same time. It's so hard to watch. And then, so, so here's, uh, you know, another thing to take from that when they go to Arizona, how are they going to play in Arizona? Are they going to play? I wouldn't, I shouldn't say down to Arizona. Arizona's fallen off a little bit. They were hot a couple weeks ago, but will they go into Arizona and the same thing, lose two out of three? Will they only play up for the Padres and the Dodgers? I mean, it's still a lot of season left. Um, I'd love to see them play these teams more. Uh, uh, unfortunately, there's uh, there, there's that interleague thing in there, but you know, some <laughs> takeaways. Well, we'll okay. talk about that. Can later. you wait? Actually, let's talk about it now. Oh, I think it's a per, it's a perfect. You're perfect, gonna hurt me early. <laughs> well, I just want you to explain a little bit why you hate interleague play so much. Absolutely, I'll, I'll tell you all about it. I can't stand interleague play because everything was perfect up until interleague play. Uh, interleague play came along. What was it? 1997. I want to say it was 97. Uh, it came along and they say, well, now you get to see all these American League teams come in. Um, teams you don't normally get to see. Well, you know what? We have cars. We have airplanes. If we want to go see <laughs> a, an American League team play, um, you know, a, a lesser brand of baseball, we'll go to those American League cities and we'll watch that. You're going to uh, make me go to the Oakland Coliseum. and, and Hey, I, I actually I shouldn't say that uh, that. The ballpark is the ballpark, but yeah. uh, I, 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 I like those guys. Dave Caval is a very nice guy. I have access to his box f uh, from time to time. So uh, I, I'm not, I don't want to say anything bad about the yeah, A's exactly. are playing good ball, too. Yeah, but and, uh, the, that, that's yeah. that park. Yeah, you know, compared to our park, not not the best place to watch. And, and I joke. I mean, everybody knows I joke. American League baseball is baseball. It's all it's all the same. I love it. I love American League baseball. I used we, to. Go. We won't be and we won't be able to say that if they put the DH in the NL too, right? We'll have yeah. to stop saying that because it'll be the same. That's going to be the total end of it. it it's just going to be baseball across the board, which is fine. But growing up, there was always that. Well, National League, you know, it's a better because you've got to, you know, you, you've got to get through that lineup, and then you have then you have to deal with pinch hitting and bunting and everything else. 
And it's kind of gone away from the National League game, too, even without the DH. Um, but, you know, I, I joke about the American League. It's still, I love the American League. I used to drive up to uh, Fremont with buddies when the Giants were out of town, and we'd hop the BART, and we'd go up to Oakland and uh, sit out in the bleachers out there, the wooden bleachers, and get splinters, yeah. and, <laughs> you know. And I'd go there, because I want to see Dwight Evans. I want to see Wade Boggs. I want to see George Brett. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see all these guys play. I, I didn't like the A's because, as a Giants fan, growing up, I had friends who were A's fans and, oh, you know, the A's are the best. And then they beat us in 89 and it was oh, tough yeah. to, oh, it was so hard to swallow. Um, but still, I loved going there when the stadium was open like that. And it was just, it, it was a blast to be able to go and see these American League teams. Uh, you know, t- Tony Fernandez coming in with the Blue Jays and George Bell. Uh, I mean, God, it was so fun to go there and watch those games. Um but can I tell, can I tell yeah, you yeah. my most memorable A's experience? So somehow my cousin got tickets to see the Red Sox and the A's. This had to be a summer because I was hanging out at his house. So it couldn't have been during school time. But this would have probably been, I'm going to say, uh, I, I'm going to guess like maybe like 92, 93, sometime around there. Uh, and it's uh, Roger Clemens on the Red Sox nice. against Dave Stewart. And um, you could imagine what happened because for whatever reason, Stu owned Clemens. Mm-hmm. And Clem- yeah. like it was almost like you could see the mind games. Like Clemens was so hard up on having to beat that A's team. And, you know, maybe, 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 maybe it was like 91, 92 now that I think of it, but he was so like, so frustrated because they would do everything. They would take the right pitches. They would get the timely hits. And he got so frustrated. He got kicked out of the game for arguing balls and strikes, but really what it was, he got kicked out of the game before he's going to get taken out of the game is what yeah. happened because, because they were beating him. <laughs> And I watched that game going like, oh, man, this is this is like one of the first times I'd seen a opposing pitcher get in the head of the pitcher. You know, usually it's like a a hitter owns somebody, but it was like, nope, Stu is in Clemens's head and he's living rent free right now. And Clemens can't do anything about it. And and, you know, and that's the thing. Those late 80s, early 90s A's teams were as a Giants fan, they were frustrating to watch. Oh my god! You know, because again, I loved American League baseball. I, I and so that's why I joke about it. It's you know, I call it the lesser, but it's not um, because I mean, God, you've got uh, you know, anytime the Royals would come in, I was like, oh man, I get to see, uh, I get to go there and see Frank White and Willie Wilson and George Brett and uh, Mark Gubaza, the great Mark <laughs> Gubaza and, and Dan Quisenberry, and I would just, I would love it, man. I mean, because these are players. Yes, you couldn't see. And and maybe and maybe I don't like interleague as much as some other people around the country do because we had the luxury of having an American League team. Two teams, yeah. Yeah, and a National League team in our area. So we could go to these games. I mean, we could go to a game every day. Uh, you know, 162, we could catch 162 games if we wanted to. Um, but the reason I don't like it now is because I love seeing 
division matchups. And this has taken some of that division matchup away. Uh, I also love seeing the Giants go to New York more often, uh, go to Cincinnati more often, go to St. Louis more often. And those games were axed uh, because of that. The Giants played, I added it up, they're playing 18 interleague games this year. Um, That's 18 games you could spread out. I mean, you could have more division games, you could have more inter-division games. Um, So that's just why I don't like it. And I didn't like you know, now it's coming, but I didn't like going to an American League ballpark and then you get a DH and it was mm-hmm. different. Things were different. I didn't like different. Um, and I'm okay with the DH now because it's coming. I'm good with it. It's going to extend a lot of careers. Uh, it's going to be a little more fun to watch. Uh, people say, well, what about Bumgarner? Bumgarner can hit. What? I mean, he what's he hit? Two home runs a year? Yeah, two twenty. <laughs> yeah, two twenty and two home runs a year. I, I I think we can live without that. It's you know he can pinch hit still. He's pinch. He's he's, he's a modern day Johnny Lamaster. Yeah, and there you go. <laughs> in, except, in except in, in, in yeah well in in a tenth of the at bats by the way yeah, right exactly. <laughs> so so that's why I don't like interleague play. I don't. I would much 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 rather see more games against the Dodgers, the Padres, the Rockies, the Diamond backs or any other national league team um so that's why i'm passionate i would love to see it go away especially if you add the dh because now there's not that novelty anymore of well when your team goes to oakland they get to use the dh it's like well now they get to use it all the time now it's just games against other teams uh, you know uh, in in the american league and, and who cares anymore so so I will Off say soapbox there. the first year that they had interleague play, uh, I took my sister to see the Mariners come to town. I, I don't, it was like one of the first interleague games. I went to one game in that series. I remember that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't exactly remember which one either, but uh, she's a big A-Rod fan and mostly because he was a handsome guy when he was 21. Um, <laughs> well, he's still a handsome guy. Yeah, yeah he's still a handsome guy. <laughs> Even though, how can you give up J-Lo, man? I, who knows? Wouldn't you just do anything and everything to make sure you were like never going to get broken up by J-Lo? I don't know, but she's, she's probably pretty sassy. I Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think just kind of eat it. She's like, yeah. all right, that's what I got to right. do. Be sassy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, so we went to that game, and, and uh, I think A-Rod, that might have been his second year, maybe? I know it was very early in his career, 19. Yeah, because he wasn't on that 95 team, so... See the first or second year. So, yeah, yeah. But, but that was kind of the draw, right? The draw was, for Giants fans, you're like, oh, I get to see Ken Griffey Jr., and Alex Rodriguez come to town, and I don't have to take the part across to, to go to Oakland Coliseum. I get to see them play in our great majestic park, and it's new. And I think for the first few years, it was actually pretty cool because for the first time, we got to see the Giants play the Yankees. We got to see the Giants play the Red Sox. So those were very, very cool moments. There was another interleague game. I want to say this is 04. Pedro comes to town and my buddy gets it's Father's Day weekend. It might have even been Father's Day. My buddy gets us tickets, him and his pops and me and my dad. And his pops was very uh, well known for just kind of 
not feeling super comfortable wherever. So he's like, just be ready. He's like, my dad may be ready to go at the fifth inning. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I'm like, but we can stay, right? He's like, oh, yeah, you guys stay. Because he had actually picked up the tickets for us. He's like, yeah, you guys have a great time. But I have a feeling my dad's going to be like five, five innings in him. And so the memorable thing about this game is Bonds and Pedro are going head to head. And this isn't, this isn't Pedro at the very tippy tippy top right like this is right like this isn't like 99 pedro who was unhittable this is 2004 who was still a really good pitcher but he's just trying to throw change up after change up after change up to bonds and bonds puts one in the water but it's foul by about 30 feet because he got out so far in front of it i don't i can't remember i don't think bonds got a hit but the Giants win the game uh, by a late home run by Edgardo Alfonso. Oh, God. But it was a, I think it was Schmidt. I think it was Schmidt against Pedro, if I remember correctly. Well, let's take a, so that was, okay, so that was middle of June, the Seattle and Giants, they played two games. I have a pin, so I think I probably went to the first game. Uh, they won, the Giants won both of those games. Yes. A-Rod didn't play in either one of those games, but I know he was on the team that year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so so going back, so the Giants played actually I think one of the first interleague games ever. Um, Rangers was it the Rangers against the Rangers, yeah, and that's who they uh, kick off against tonight. So they've got the Rangers tonight and tomorrow, so, uh, Monday and Tuesday, just a quick two game series. But it was let's see, uh, June twelfth, nineteen ninety seven. And I believe Stan Javier hit the first. That's what it was. Stan Javier hit the first interleague home run in history. Um, and that was his first home run of the season. <laughs> so I'm surprised he didn't just say, you know what? I'm going to stay here in Texas. Uh, I'm just going to sign with them. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> this is a fun ballpark to hit in. But uh, let's take, I mean, we know the Giants lineup 97. You got Hamilton, Vizcaino, Kent Bonds, Mark Lewis, uh, Glenn Allen Hill, Stan Javier, JT Snow, and Marcus Jensen. Uh, Mark Gardner was our starter. Darren Oliver was a starter for the Rangers. Their lineup was Warren Newsom. Pudge, Rusty Greer, Juan Gone, some guy named Will Clark hitting 370 at that point of the wow. season. Uh, Dean Palmer, remember Dean Palmer played mm-hmm. third base for mm-hmm. the Rangers. Mark McLemore, um, Damon Buford in center field, and Billy uh, F. Face. <laughs> Ripken <laughs> playing shortstop. He was in 324. He's still in the league in 97? Wow. In 97, he was still in the league. I don't I don't know exactly how that, old he that was. That baseball card is like 1989 or something. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, 91 Fleer, right? Oh, it was 90, a 91. Yeah, 90 or 91 Fleer. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, look up, if you dare, Billy Ripken baseball card <laughs> and i'm sure you'll see many many pictures of the one of the most famous baseball cards in the history of baseball cards it's yes fantastic i never owned one i had a buddy who owned one and i never i got the one with the airbrushed yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay so uh we'll get into kind of the the mvps of the week and our player of the week uh but before that what are you drinking all right so <clears throat> you are a fan of the great Brock Meyer. Yes. I am a fan of the great Brock Meyer. You're on season four. I think I'm still on season three. I might be in season four. Whatever the se- the the last season is that I think they 
did, which is really weird because they're like into the future. That's oh, the one that I'm on. Nope, I'm not there. I'm in uh, New Orleans right now. Okay. So I think I'm season three. So that being said, as a fan of Brockmire, uh, if you're a fan of Brockmire, you uh, you know what Sazerac rye is. And that mm-hmm. is Brockmire's drink. First time he goes into the bar, um, he gets himself a bottle of Sazerac uh, in, in the uh, small... Uh, fracking town uh where he first gets his uh his first uh quote-unquote minor league semi-pro job but um i'm into rise i really like rise because i like making old fashions um sazerac is famous for its own drink that goes back to like the 1800s um and it's made with like absinthe and a sugar cube and two different types of bitters and cognac and a lemon peel uh so definitely a new orleans style drink. Um, so I picked this up at total wine the other day because it was really hard to find in town. And I finally, I came across, it was only, I mean, for, for what you get, the punch that you get from this drink, um, it was only like 35 bucks and that's, that's right around, I don't know about you, but that's right around near like the top of my range for whiskey or bourbon. I'll go to 40. I usually won't go above 40 because there are so many great ones for under $40 that I'll kind of stick there. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've got tonight. It is, it is punched with rye, just full of rye. It is absolutely fantastic. Highly recommended to anybody who wants to get into rise. Um, and if you're not familiar with rise, it'll, it'll get you right into it right away and show you what it's all about. So I'm drinking a Cooper's Mark small batch bourbon. Mm. And one of the things that I noticed on the label is it said that it was charcoal filtered. I looked up charcoal filtered. I still do not understand what that means. <laughs> but the other thing that I noticed, and, and you know, you'll get this, which is the idea of small batch. Is that just a marketing term or is there something to small batch bourbon or whiskey? No, I think small batch uh, basically just means they're making lesser of it. It's more like, hey, we're trying this. Um, We're going to give this a shot. Uh, Let's see. I think there's a a rule for it, too. I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, Yeah, I think it's usually around like 10 to 15 barrels at the time. Um, yeah, small, small batch whiskey, a relatively small number of selected barrels, uh, commercially positioned for the upper premium market. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is a bit of a marketing tool, but it's, it's usually different than what you would get normally. Uh, so like we were talking about Jefferson's bourbon last week, they mm-hmm. make a small batch and they make a very small batch. Mm. They, they actually have a bottle that says very small batch on it. Um, and I think that's like, it says on here, 2,400 bottles and that's it. Uh, so yeah, it pumps up the price a little bit, but it's different. It's definitely different. It's aged differently, uh, you know, year wise, um, of course, you know, with bourbon barrel, but with bourbon, it has to be aged in brand new charred oak barrels. You can't age it in anything else or else it's not called bourbon. Um, so really, it's just a lesser batch that they're making and then marketing it. But, you know, the funny thing is with Uncle Nearest, 
the small batch is less expensive than the regular Uncle Nearest. Um, and that can usually mean because the regular Uncle Nearest might be aged longer. So it's mm. going to be smoother. The The small batch, you know, it's, it's not because it's aged longer or done any other different way. It's just they made less of it. So if anybody has any understanding and can speak and can write it in layman terms, shoot us an email at Thompson, the number two Clark at gmail.com. And also, uh, if you uh, have our uh, Twitter account, Thompson to Clark, uh, shoot us a a DM or or something, because I'm very interested in what that means. I'm... uh, I just I like these terms and these definitions and the marketing around bourbon. All that stuff is really interesting to me. So, all right, let's uh, let's get back into the swing of things. I want the couple things I wanted to talk about here. The old guys versus the Zadie guys, I guess, is, is how I would put it. Yeah, the old guard. Now, we know Zadie the way that he looks at talent, high walk to strikeout ratio, uh, take a lot of pitches. There's a certain style, play multiple positions. If you're, if you're a left-handed hitter, even better. And, um, you know, that that's kind of like the model. Now, there's people who don't really fit that model, like someone like a Donovan Solano, doesn't really walk as much high batting average, kind of the reverse of that, like statistical analytical player, but who also does very well for the giants. But Zadie has been, his talent is really like going and getting these guys who are sort of undervalued in the marketplace and placing a a premium on those guys. And yet when we look at who is getting the big hits, it's, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey. And so not to say that I'm dismissing the newer guys at all. I just found it so interesting that I and, and I kind of wonder, you know, we talked about this before the season even started, which is it's almost like a last hurrah season for these guys. We know that uh, Belt and Crawford, their contracts are up. Buster has a team. Um, uh, the, 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 what do they call it? Uh, they got a team option for yeah, team option. $22 million. Uh, or they they just pay him out a small like five million or whatever that number right. is and and, and three, I think it's agent. three it's only so, three something like that yeah so some of this has to be that you know they want that they they this season is very much dependent on what their future earnings look like but at the same time I kind of wonder if the way that Zadie and Kapler kind of put this team together. It's almost like a like we love the way that this team is, but we also loved when we won three World Series championships. So yeah, we're not going to go away so easily. We're going to remind you know everybody why why we're who we are. And so I, I find that part of this whole thing so interesting because Buster and and Brandon Crawford and Belt they have such pride in what they did, and it's almost carrying over 
to this season. And you have like this really great mix of old guard, like you said, versus like this new guard. Now, some of this new guard is not going to stick around. We know, you know, guys like Listella are signed uh, for after this season. But a lot of the a lot of the players are on really short deals and may or may not come back. But, you know, I, I, I really appreciate watching Buster and, and Brandon and the two Brandons because you're just so happy for them when they play well, you know, because we've just seen them for so long, no matter how many people want to dismiss, you know, Brandon Belt goofiness and striking out and and all that, you know, which, they're, they're, which angers you. I know. No, it doesn't really anger me. It kind of makes me laugh because, you know, every team is going to have that one player that just for whatever reason gets under the majority of the fan base's skin. <laughs> he's he is that for whatever. Reason. He's just a weird guy. You know, he's a he's an interesting fellow. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, so I, I'm just I just find myself rooting so hard for those guys because it feels like they're there are guys, you know, not not to say that uh, I can't have a favorite player when those guys are gone, but it just feels right that those guys are still doing all the things for a team that is actually pretty darn good this season. Yeah, and I'm with you too because going into this season, I professed my love, my 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 fandom, my favorite player on this team is Buster Posey, and how can he not be for a lot of people? I mean, he's been around for you know ten plus years, and everything he's done, and especially this season. I mean, seeing him doing what he's doing this season, every time he does something, I turn to my wife, I go, "Can you believe this? <laughs> Buster Posey is you know X years old, and he missed he missed last year, and then she looks at me and goes, "Yeah, I don't." really care <laughs> but but i have to tell somebody so you know and and the kids are semi-interested they love buster posey though anytime he's up and i go hey buster's up they're like oh okay cool so they'll come over and watch but um but yeah i mean watching the old guard do what they do and it's a comfort zone too i mean they, they've they've had their houses in san francisco for what 10 plus years all three mm-hmm. of them uh they're comfortable they know where to go in the ballpark they know where their lockers are they know uh, everything about the ballpark inside and out that field everything they're very very comfortable and then with this new um coaching staff coming in a couple of years ago and kind of instilling some new theories uh some new techniques um it's really kind of turned up their career i shouldn't I, I was i was about to say turned around their career but they've always had really good careers all three of them um one of them a hall of famer for sure and you know they've kind of turned up their careers and i mean i don't know if i don't know if belt's a surefire hall of famer <laughs> oh you're talking about post sorry <laughs> yeah. sorry no i was talking about belt <laughs> <laughs> got you excited for a minute um, but yeah so they helped like turn up their their careers a notch which is which is fantastic and like you said too I mean, Zadie and everybody, they're doing a great job of kind of mixing that talent because when it comes down to it, if Posey, let's just say if Posey, Belt and Crawford are all gone next season, the Giants will do what they can to find veteran presence and sign veteran presence. And if it's these three guys, then great. That's veteran presence. They're not going to be long-term deals. They're going to be a couple years, but you, you can't because you can't send out Wilmer Flores, Tommy Listella, Donovan Solano, Yaz, and those guys with other young guys and expect to win a lot of ball games. They're going to win ball games just on, you know, 
young machismo at some point during the season, but without that veteran leadership to help you through the struggles, you're not going to get very far. Um, so you're going to see the Giants make some moves uh, in this offseason to try to really bring in some veteran presence if these three guys are gone. Um, so, so yeah, it's a fantastic mix. I I, I looked at some numbers. I, I, I wanted to to share these with everybody because I love numbers. I mean, and who if you're a baseball fan and you don't love numbers, I'm not sure how you got into baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, baseball is all about numbers. Um, but since April 26th, so that was you know, probably about three weeks ago, Buster Posey has been hitting 607. Wow. Yeah, 607 with four home runs and 10 RBIs. His WOBA is 728, which is just really out of this world. If you're up in the 400 range, 500 range, you're doing great. But 728 is outstanding. Brandon Crawford since April 26, 381 with four home runs and nine RBIs. 579 Woba and Bell 238. Not great, um, but four home runs and 11 RBIs. He, he went into Colorado and said, I love this place. <laughs> I'm going to mash here. And so his Woba uh, since uh, April 26, 389. Those are the top three Wobas in the team. One, two, three. There's nobody else that's even in there. Um, Brandon Belt with a little bit of the struggle, still 17 strikeouts. Thir- that's 33% strikeout rate. That's a lot. You know, that's one out of every three at bats he's striking out. Only um, Duggar is higher, uh, but Duggar only has like half the at bats in that time. So that's 12 home runs between those guys. And since April 26, that's 66% of the team's home runs just from those three guys. I mean, they, they're carrying this team offensively right now. Um, so, so if we can get everybody else hitting, the Giants aren't going to have to worry about these late games and what is Mac Cheese going to do when he comes in? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to have to worry about that stuff because they're going to have bigger leads and, and, you know, we'll be able to throw out some other guys and, oh, here comes Rodgers. Okay, not that big of a deal. Although uh, Rodgers again, still having an outstanding season. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I find, you know, you know, and who knows who we'll see if it lasts, you know, these, these guys like, you know, belt is, uh, definitely not having his best. I, I would say, uh, contact season for sure he he very much fits what baseball is right now which which is the home runs and the strikeouts he's uh, he's fitting he's fitting whatever that uh, model is very well but i i find it really interesting that uh crawford and uh, posey are hitting for power so i hope that stays because if they can hit for power gosh those guys are so much more valuable with the bat because they can drive the baseball and, and hit extra base hits. Um, okay, so that leads us to our player of the week. I saw you throw it out on Twitter today. Who got the Twitter vote for the Thompson and Clark player of the week? Yeah, and I love I love the votes. <clears throat> we got a lot of votes this week, which was awesome. Uh, I, I think I put it out at uh, six thirty a.m. today, which was about two Early and a half bird. hours. Yeah, I know. I, well, today is. The, the kids go to school day, so the alarm hits at 5.30. Uh, you know, I get up, make them some eggs, a little toast. Uh, and then after that, it's just a matter of kind of waiting for them to, uh, you know, finish getting ready for school. And I've got girls, so it takes a while. <laughs> uh, so I, I came to the computer and said, oh, you know what? I'm going to do our uh, player of the week. 
poll. And speaking of the old guard, uh, we always try to put out three, uh, three to vote for, because, you know, if you put out four or five, it kind of dilutes the votes a little bit. Um, And rarely are you going to find more than three players each week who are outstanding. Um, sometimes it's only really two. But this week we had three players that I, I thought uh, were pretty outstanding. Uh, two of them were from the old guard. And uh, so I threw out there uh, Brandon Crawford with his uh, 385 batting average this week, his 605 Woba, his three home runs, eight RBIs, and he walked six times, which you know really jacks up your Woba because you're creating runs that way. You're getting on base and you're creating those runs. Um, and RBI are opportunities for people around you. Uh, also throughout Brandon Belt, 316 average this week. Just again, really loved Coors Field. Uh, 514 Woba, three home runs, eight RBIs. And he walked four times as well. Very patient this week. He's always patient. The walks just haven't been there so much this season. And that's why I'm expecting that to change. That that average, like you and I had talked about, I think we threw out there, is he going to hit higher than 280 by the All-Star break? Um, I think he's going to come really close because those walks are going to start coming. He's going to have a little more selective at-bats. Um, and then the third player I threw on there was Matt Whistler. Four and a third innings pitch this week. Uh, he had a couple of, you know, he come in and stop the bleeding innings, and he did a great job. Uh, four and a third innings this week, no earned runs, two hits, three walks, or sorry, three strikeouts and no walks. Um, he had a rough start to the beginning of the season. A uh, new team came over from Minnesota, still trying to get his feet wet, and uh, I think he's kind of settled in. He lowered his ERA this week from 10 down to 6.75. So coming in, uh, tied for, uh, I guess you can call it tied for second place. Matt Whistler and Brandon Belt got 7% of the vote. And then Brandon Crawford won it this week, 80, almost 86% of the vote. So your player of the week this week is Brandon Crawford, which is with his 385 average, just coming off of being banged up too. So that's awesome to see you know, still playing his, uh, uh slick defense and, and driving in runs when he gets the opportunity. Brandon Crawford is very much a fan favorite for this franchise. So when Brandon Crawford plays good baseball, the uh, the fans are generally very happy. You know, he's from the Bay Area. There's that picture of him when he's a little kid at Candlestick. So I, I do like to I do like uh, seeing him play well. Plus, you know, he's still even though he's not the athlete that he was five six years ago, he's still a really solid defender. So. Um, just just really good. And look, I you know, I could have voted for Belt, but no. I voted for Brandon Crawford. I voted for Crawford. I was really close to voting for Whistler. And uh, we did have a, a, a nice comment from Dan, uh, Thunder Dizen, uh, at Thunder Dizen. Uh, he follows us on Twitter. We follow him back. He's uh, one of our... Um, one of our Twitter shout outs this week, uh, always have good conversations with him. He said, I picked Whistler because when the Brandons are good, they are among the best. They expect that from themselves and have no issue with us expecting that too. We'll always love the Brandons. Whistler became a punching bag. I love when guys turn it around and shut critics up. And, uh, and I, I reply back. That's why we put him on there. Uh, because, you know, he took so much heat early on and of the pitching staff this week, I, I like to try to sneak in a pitch if I can, uh, to the, to the polling for each week, uh, of the pitchers, he really, he really shined. I mean, he came in and, and, um, I want to look at again, numbers, love numbers. Can't get enough of the numbers. He, um, 
Where did I put it? Oh, he had a 1.72 whip or FIP uh, this week, 1.72 FIP. But his slider percentage this week in those four and a third innings, 96.1%. So right on where we thought he was going to be when, when, when we signed uh, Whistler, we pretty much knew he was going to be that guy who throws like 90% sliders and that thing is nasty. You mix that in with his fastball and he can be uh, pretty pretty tough to hit. The one thing, if you want to look to belt... As far as is he going to raise that average? So he is hitting the baseball really well and really solidly. His barrel rate and and the you know we're, we're it's a, it's a short a small sample size so that kind of stuff I'm sure will will even out as uh, as the season goes. But his barrel rate is really uh, good. I think it's the highest. Of his career, so he's hitting the ball hard. I think the what there, there's like a um, a number, like there's a miles per hour that you have to get to in order for it, to, in order for you to get counted as hitting on the barrel. It's like ninety. It's in like the mid nineties or something. So he's hitting the baseball hard. The, the one thing that's a little bit different is his line drive rate is down and his fly ball rate is up. So he's getting under some balls that maybe he would hit a little bit more on the nose. Uh, but, you know, so it's not like Belt is just flailing and, and missing pitches. He's, he's just probably has a little bit of unluckiness going on. And, and that may uh, that may even out at some point. So, yeah, just, I, uh, I, I really do think so. I mean, we saw what kind of hitter he could be last year. It's just it's just early season struggles and it's well documented. We know how absolutely streaky Brandon Belt is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he gets on a tear, as you saw this week, he gets on a tear. And when he gets cold, he gets ice cold. So you're you're still going to see that. That's just who he is. Um, we'd love to see a prolonged hot streak. Uh, then that way we can say, okay, uh, last year was something to build on. And we're still waiting to see that. But but we will. I, I have uh, the utmost confidence that we will see that prolonged streak this year. All right. So um, let's get to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is this upcoming schedule. So they have a three gamer against the Rangers. The Rangers are playing 500 baseball. I think it's a two gamer. Is it a two gamer? Uh, yeah, tonight, uh, 645, tomorrow, 1245, and then an off day to head to Pittsburgh. And do they play four in Pittsburgh? Four in Pittsburgh. Okay, yes. that, that, that's yeah. where I got confused. Uh, the, the single trip to Pittsburgh because of interleague play. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Rangers, 500 baseball, they are... Uh, on a little bit of a roll, though, you look at their last 10 games, they are playing uh, 770% winning baseball. They've won seven out of the last 10. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's just not a lot that you can really look to now. The Rangers are going to lose the DH, which is one of the benefits for the National League teams when they when they uh, when the American Leagues come in because they usually lose one of their best hitters and they'll so they'll sort of have to figure that out. I want to wonder, like, I'm sure someone has done the analytics on this, but like, 
when the American League comes to the National League, the National League has to have like some crazy advantage <laughs> because yeah. the, a lot of they got to figure out where to put their one of their better hitters who may not exactly fit in a in a in a defensive lineup. So let's see. I'm looking at the Rangers. So the Rangers. Uh, I wanted to see what their um, what their runs scored and runs against because it's kind of like my favorite metric, my favorite easy metric yeah, to see a, if a team is really good or not. That's a good one, and uh, I was thinking, you know, so the Giants had a really good one coming into yesterday, and then they and then they lost by stinker. ten runs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, lose by ten, eleven, twelve runs, whatever it was, and, and then you look at that, and you know, let's see what did they lose? Eleven to one, so they lost by ten runs. Yeah, so that changes that whole thing yeah. in like one game right there. So they can go on. To sweep the Rangers in these two games and win by one run each and only gain two of those run differential runs back. But but throughout the entire season, it is a really good indicator because I mean if you're if you're winning one run games and then losing 10 run games, you, that's not going to happen all the time. So that's just kind of an anomaly. Uh, the Giants did have a 12 nothing win two weeks ago and then Last week, the first game of the doubleheader, they had an eight-run win. Uh, so, you know, that that boosts that up, too. Uh, but but I do like looking at it. I didn't start looking at that until a couple of years ago. I think when you started mentioning it, and I was like, you know what? That's kind of a really good indicator to see. I, I used to use it this team? mostly for football yeah. because you would see some of the football teams uh, beating up on bad teams and and so you're trying to figure out like okay is this team for real and uh you know the teams that were really for real usually had consistent uh advantages when they would win you know they're they were winning by 10 points or something and so they'd have this really high uh scores for and scores against and so then i started looking at it for baseball too Baseball's a little bit different because obviously the scores, uh, you know, you're not winning 30 to 20, you're winning three to two. So the scores uh, take a little while to actually go up. But what what, what you kind of like to see, and this doesn't always work because when the Giants won their uh, World Series in 2014, I think they had a very pedestrian run scored versus run against. But like, for instance, like if you want to kind of look at, and, you know, very quick snapshot of like who's kind of like the hot team and or the be- one of the best teams. Chicago White Sox have a plus 53 run differential. They do not have the best record in the American League. That actually goes to the Boston Red Sox and their run differentials plus 36. So still really solid, still really good. But then you look at someone like Toronto and, you know, they're only 17 and 16, but they're a plus 25. So either they may have those crazy wipeout games like you were talking about where you win 12-0 or they just have some really bad luck and they're losing some some tough ones. I haven't looked too closely into that. But in the National League, the Dodgers, this is the reason why I'm just like, yeah, the Dodgers are going to be there, even though they're struggling, even though. You know, they're barely a a game over 500. They still have the best run differential in the National League at plus 32. Giants are second at plus 27. St. Louis at plus 23. So, well, and look at Oakland, too. I mean, what are they? Minus 10. Minus 10. And they're in first place at what, 21 and. 
21 and 15. 21 and 15. Because if you remember, they were getting completely destroyed at the beginning of the season. Yeah. They were losing, let's see, to, to, to the Astros to open. They lost by seven, four, eight, seven. Then they went in and lost to the Dodgers by seven, by four. Uh, and then they're winning one run ball games. But when they're losing, they're losing in style, man. They're losing <laughs> like, really big. You know, they're, they're going big when they lose. Uh, so that's how you can get that minus 10. But, but again, they're a good team. So that's going to change that that'll change throughout the season and kind of, you know, by, by July, you'll start to kind of see, okay, this is what, this team really is because um, when the Giants were let's see, what was it 2016 the Giants were in first place um, and then after the all-star break they really hit the skids uh, they still had a good record but their run differential was changing drastically mm-hmm. and that's how we knew okay uh, I think we're kind of in trouble here <laughs> what do you know about the Rangers center fielder I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his first name correctly. Adolis, Adolis Garcia. I know nothing. So I know nothing as well. He's got nine jacks and 26 RBI in barely 100 ABs. So, um, and it's not like he's, uh, you know, he's super young. He's actually 28. So he's not like this, you know, this brand new prospect. But um, yeah, when I was looking, I was kind of just kind of digging through there, uh, who, 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 you know, who we need to keep an eye on. He stands out big time and it looks like he's only been in the big leagues for three years. 2018 with the Cardinals, he had a little bit, a uh, cup of coffee. And then last year, he only played three games, had six ABs, didn't even get a hit. All right, internet trouble. Sorry, I got bumped off there. But you know, I was just looking. I was just looking at the you know who we should keep an eye on, and you know they have, um, they still have guys like uh, Gallo, who's who's just a crazy strikeout and walk machine and home run machine. Like that's literally all he does is strike out, walk, or hit a jack. Um, but yeah, I don't know too much about the about this team. Um, the, the one thing is. They have uh, old old giant Charlie Culberson playing third base for them. Hey. That's not not bad. I, I always figured that this dude would be out of the league, but he's thirty two years old and he's still playing baseball. Like he's, I, I sort of feel like these last few years of his career have been actually his best years because he uh, he they, they traded him to Colorado. Was it in the Scudero deal? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, that was right around. Yeah, that would have been right around the time. I was just looking him up real quick because I got to see. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't even really had. He hasn't had more than two hundred ninety six abs in one season, and that was two thousand eighteen with the Braves. He's probably going to get past that with this Texas team, and he's hitting three ten. He's got a few jacks there. Uh, good on base, good good batting average. So good for him. I, you know, you always kind of root for old Giants draft picks or whatever. So, oh yeah, well he really. was a he was a first rounder by the Giants. But this this tells you. Remember back in the day when they had the massive amount of uh, compensatory picks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So he was picked in the first round, fifty first overall. <laughs> in the first round, <laughs> there's only, only thirty teams. 
that's a lot of comp picks there. So he was, yeah, he was picked in the first round, uh, number 51 overall out of straight out of high school. Didn't make it to the bigs until 2012 with the giants hit 136 in 2012. Um, you know, and then for, yeah. So then, uh, 2013 with Colorado. Yeah. Cause 2012, that's when we got Scudero. Uh, so it was mid season there. He took off, didn't, didn't play with the Rockies in 2012, but he, he ended up with them in 2013 and 14. Then to the dreaded Dodgers, um, and then off to Atlanta and now to Texas. All right, so this uh, last segment of this show, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on some of the things that I heard Theo Epstein, who's in this like consultant role with Major League Baseball, former Red Sox, former Chicago Cubs, uh, president of baseball. He, his literal job is to come up with ideas to make baseball better. What a cool job that is. Yeah, well, yeah I mean... It's a cool job, but it also will get you uh, headhunted pretty quick and not in a good way. You know, and I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, the dot com headhunting. Yes. I'm talking about the fans are coming for your head headhunting. Because yes. if you start tinkering with rules that have been around for 100 plus years, that's going to really tick off a lot of fans. And uh, he's kind of heading that way a little bit. Well, the good thing about it is I think he's open-minded, and I think fans have to be open-minded as well, but they're experimenting, right? They're utilizing their minor league systems to change up some of these rules, like the Atlantic League, I think, is one of them, and they're, they're just trying to figure out, okay, here's a problem. How do we solve for this problem, and what are the ways in which we can, uh, we can do that? I actually like some of these ideas we've talked about some of these ideas in the past you know widening the bases so that we get more stolen bases and and stuff like that um but i guess the 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 main thing that i that i wanted to talk to you about is i didn't realize how wild and way crazy some of these numbers are i i think uh I, I'm just trying to go off of memory of the show that he did, but like the, the, the overall league batting average is like in the two thirties. Jeez. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I did find an article um, that kind of summed up another podcast that he was on. Cause he's, he's been making the rounds and kind of talking about a lot, a lot of this stuff. And this was from March 30th. Um, you know, there, there are like, like pace of play is up to, uh, four minutes in between action on the field. So by the time in between basically batted ball in play, it can be up to four minutes. And, and, and that's a lot. I mean, that's yeah. a lot because back when we were uh, younger, it used to be around two minutes is what they're showing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's double the time. And, and it's funny earlier when we were looking at, uh, I went back and looked at that, um, uh, Texas or sorry, the Seattle and the uh, Giants interleague series, both games were under two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, they flew by. You didn't get a three hour game unless you went into extra innings. Um, a lot of that has to do with commercial breaks. Commercial breaks are long. Uh, commercial breaks are plenty. Uh, you know, if you have a pitching change, there's a commercial break. Uh, a lot of times back in the day, I think if there was a pitching change, a guy would come in, throw seven pitches and you're like, okay, let's go. Uh, let's get this thing moving. So, so that has changed. Um, 
strikeout rates, uh, I don't know if you saw that one or not, but 1950, uh, teams would strike out on average 3.86 times per game. Then in 1975, it went up to 4.98 times per game. This is per team, not in in general, not in the whole game. Then in 2019, it was 8.81 times per game. I mean, it has almost tripled since 1950, which is outrageous. Another way that Theo mentioned that stat, and the podcast that I listened to was the Bill Simmons podcast. The one that I think you're talking about was he was on uh, the Athletic podcast with Correct. Jason Stark and, yeah. and Doug. Doug put me to sleep, Glanville. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. The, the, yeah, he. I, I don't. I don't like him on that medium. I, yeah, he, yeah. He's yeah. fine. He's fine on TV. Yeah, he's good um, with the games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. I think he said that this season, the strikeout rate for the game, for all the teams, is basically Doc Good in 1985. Wow. That's pretty outrageous, man. That, so, that, and we're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing it. That changed the last couple of years with the whole launch angle thing, right? You get the ball in the air, you hit a home run. And I mean, so, you could, there's a bunch of things, right? The specialized yeah. pitchers where, you know, you just ask your starters to go as hard as humanly possible for five or six. And then you come in with 100 miles an hour and 99 miles an hour <laughs> and then close with 98 miles an hour. Yeah, you're going to that a lot. Yeah. That's what it is, right? You're always getting somebody's best, which is tough. I mean, they've sort of, you know, basketball kind of gets a lot of flack for, oh, you know, the specialized three pointers and stuff. And I'm like, man, have you watched baseball? Like these pitchers are so specialized. Um, But I guess the the question that I have is, you know, Theo Epstein, his whole job is to like sort of figure this out. He's talked about uh, pushing the mound back. Uh, it's just a small number. It's like maybe a foot or maybe a little bit less than a foot. And they're going to try that out. He's talked about, they've talked about, you know, raising or lowering the mound, but I guess with the, the riser, the, the, the rising fastball that everyone throws now, you can actually get more upward trajectory on it from a flatter surface than actually from, from throwing downward. So that was actually really interesting. So that's not really a solution either, but every time I guess in the history of baseball that, this happened, you know, they, they made adjustments and they kind of tinkered with it. I, you know, we, what's the famous Bob Gibson year? We had like the 1.12 ERA and then they immediately made changes the following year so that the offense would be up, um, outside of just going like, Hey, all batters can just take steroids. Uh, (laughs) you know, what, what do you, what do you think about this stuff? Because the one thing that I, the one thing that I disagreed with him about is he said that fans believe that doubles, triples and stolen bases are the three most uh, entertaining parts of the game. And all three of those are down to like really, really crazy lows, which is frustrating. But I sort of remember like, you know, the late, the late nineties and the early two thousands where home runs were up. And that seemed to be the, well, what caused a lot of fans to come back, but that it wasn't just home runs. It was just offense in general. Right. So home runs were up, but also batting average was up and doubles were up and crazy run scoring was up. So I do wonder 
what the solution is. And, and it's going to be so interesting to see what Epstein comes up with and some of the other things that they do, because bottom line is that the game is very one dimensional right now and pitching, pitching dominant home run dominant. And there's not a lot of variation in between. You're not seeing a lot of innings where, you know, lead off walk. All right. Got kicked off again. Sorry, Brad. Um, You're good. I'm bad. I'm inter- here. Bad. I, I poured another rye while I was waiting <laughs> for you there. But, but I guess like, you know, out of all the things that you were reading up on and is there, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for you? Like what, what, things could they possibly do to make this less of a uh you know i don't know what what, what's the the true outcomes of of strikeout you know or home run you know i i really don't know the answer i mean the game has evolved right and and how do you stop the evolution of a game or change or or like channel i mean it's like you know you get a you get floodwaters coming in. You build a channel. You know, floodwaters here. You build a channel. You channel it off. You do this. Whatever. You're not going to do it immediately. That type of stuff takes time. So I don't I don't know if the answer is going to be, hey, let's just go ahead and move the mound back, and then uh, we'll do a lot of testing and kind of see what happens. That to me, that's a drastic change mm-hmm. a small change uh you know what they proposed and they're doing in one of the minor league systems right now is a little bit of a bigger bag meaning you have a little bit you're a little bit closer from first base to second base so you can get a, a little bit of a bigger jump um those closer plays are going to favor the, the the faster runners by a little bit um you know, like you said too, the home runs, the scoring, everything was up in the late '90s and early 2000s, and mainly because chicks dig the long ball, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of what the, the, the whole slogan was at the time, right? I, I remember, uh, I think it was Glavin had the the T-shirt, "Chicks dig the long ball," and he oh, was yeah. taking batting practice and hitting home runs, and people were cracking up because it was Dom Glavin. But um, yeah, I don't, and, and like you said, I mean, that's a that's a great point. It's not so much the home runs because that's what we, we've got plenty of that right now. We've got more home runs than we can handle. It's the getting on base in front of the home runs. Mm-hmm. It's the doubles, the triples, the singles, the uh, the at bats where you're not facing, you know, three out of four guys you face in a ball game are throwing 96 and above. It's just outrageous. But but how do you combat that? You can't like, you know. I don't know. You can't make a guy's arm smaller. You can't take away <laughs> the technology and say, well, you can't use this technology to, um, to, uh, to get better at throwing fastballs, to fix your mechanics, to do, you know what? That stuff's here. That stuff's all here. And this is the game we have now. I mean, if they're losing fans, they're going to come back. You're, you're going to get other fans who enjoy this part of the game. And, and again, it's going to take time. Find other ways to bring that into the game, to bring the fans, different fans into the game. I love the game we have. I love every iteration of the game that we have. I love to look at an era and say, well, at the beginning of the 80s, you had a lot of stolen bases. That was cool. That was fun at that time. Um, if it all of a sudden came back to that in a year or two, I'd be like, whoa. I mean, it would be it would be shocking and jarring. So I think you just kind of have to find 
ways, other ways than kind of messing with the field or the mound or, you know, robot umpires or, or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, you just kind of have to let the game evolve the way it evolves and it's, it, it's being done legally. So I don't, I don't know necessarily if going out there and, and, and changing mound specifics or the field or, or uh, you know, bringing the fences in or making, uh, you know, every new field because because again you if, if you're going to start doing that type of stuff that's millions and millions of dollars and then or, or you could say every new ballpark that's built has to have a 430 foot uh, left field and right field gap then you can jut it into 410 in center field and you get this wacky gaps and, <laughs> and i don't know i mean it, it, there's so many different things you could do um to the field that i just don't know if i would be cool with any of that of that i i like just letting the game evolve and and be what it is now it's fun to watch a guy go out there and throw 97 98 it's frustrating if you're a fan of that team who's getting struck out x amount of times but eventually you'll get used to it because that's the game now and that's what everybody's doing uh and then maybe hitters I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was about to throw out there. Maybe hitters get a better eye, but yeah, that's just not what it's about. It's a, you know, it, will hitters evolve coming up through the minor league system? Will coaches start to teach them a little bit more to have a better eye and lay off of stuff? Uh, but it's hard. I and mean, when stuff's coming at you at 98, 99 miles an hour, uh, how really are you going to lay off of it? So I think it's just the evolution of the game and, and, and I'm good with it. One thing they could do, is force all of the offensive players to grow mustaches. Oh, yes. <laughs> because that's what the Giants are doing. Austin Slater grew a mustache and he hit a ball 450 feet the other day. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, just, I, I kind of like looking at the future of the game and... I under, I very much understand why a lot of young people don't watch it because there's just not enough going on. And, you know, the the idea that you have to sit through a four-hour baseball game that is not even a crazy game is frustrating, and, and they do have to fix those things. But um, Well, they, they, yeah, they need to fix pace of play. If you can fix pace of play... And you could, I mean, with the, with the team, with players striking out as much as they, as they do, I don't understand why we have three hour games or three and a half hour games. If you're striking out that much, much, yes, more pitches are being thrown. But if you move the mound back and create more offense, isn't that just going to get you a longer game? Yes. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure. I think other things need to be done, but you're not going to take away revenue uh, Theo uh, Theo Epstein's not a part of that he's a part of the on-field changes to to make it more interesting for fans which I am not personally a fan of um so so anyways I yeah I uh, other than shortening commercial breaks and changing in between inning stuff and uh you know making it you can't step out of the box they have that rule right you can't step out of the box unless you fall a, foul a pitch off well that kind of went away after a year because uh, <laughs> guys weren't following that and umpires weren't uh, enforcing it so that kind of disappeared well you know what enforce that stuff uh, yeah. uh you don't get back in the box on pirate three automatic strike boom you want to move a game along that will move a game along all right so 
like I said, they could grow mustaches because Austin Slater and Mike Yastrzemski are growing some of the most terrible mustaches wow. that you've ever, ever I like, seen. I like Yaz's. I think that's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> they, they are doing something that began as a tradition in Triple A. Uh, Giants former farmhand Zach Green decided to grow a mustache for the month of May. And then he went absolutely bananas. And so Austin Slater... And Mike Yastrzemski decided to go for it. And if you go to our Instagram page, Thompson to Clark, we have our own mustache May. Now, I had a mustache probably until I was about 23 years old. And then I haven't had one since. But uh, when did you grow your mustache? So I never actually... So so those pictures you see on Instagram were more fun. Like so w- w- not even Movember related? No, no, no. Cuz so so what I used to do is back in the 90s as a true grunge uh you know college dude, I grew the goatee cuz the goatee was cool. Yes, yes. It, it was all black. I didn't have to color it. I didn't have to do anything to it. It was just black. As the years went on, it turned gray. Uh, then now I have like streaks of gray down the sides and a black patch down the middle. So it looks pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, and then about three or four years ago, I've never, I had never grown a beard and then beard started coming in and I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a shot, even though it's patchy on the sides, I'm going to grow it and see what happens. Uh, so, so I did that and I was like, well, that's actually kind of cool. So, so now I grow a beard. I don't do a, a goatee anymore, but when I go to shave it off, I'll usually do some sort of cool design for like a couple of days. <laughs> Drives Denise insane, <laughs> but it's pretty awesome. There's there's one picture I did not post, but I, I, I left the mustache and almost a little bit of like a half Fu Manchu mm. and a big patch down the middle of my chin. Uh, it very much looked like a pirate and we were going to Disneyland. So I cut it to shape it to that. And then we went, went to Disneyland. I went, it, I went straight to the Pirates of the Caribbean store, threw on the pirate hat, grabbed <laughs> the sword and took a picture and it's pretty awesome. But, uh, so I've never really had a mustache for more than like a day or two. Um, because if I try to get close to Denise with a mustache, doesn't go well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not 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 good. <laughs> no, if you want to hang out with your wife. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so um, that is it from here. Uh, Brad and I will be back next week. When are we? We talked about doing another live stream. Yeah, let's. Uh, Giants mean- have a Giants have an early game. Uh, they got a three forty game like next next Monday. When yeah, I think I think yeah, we were because really we we generally record at f- around five ish p.m. So what we may do is we may do the live stream and just kind of have the game going on in the background. People are watching can listen to us live on on YouTube and on Facebook. So I think we'll do that for next week. So just be on the alert. We will share the live stream link with all of our. Uh, all of our uh, social medias. The the one thing that is going to be slightly different for me, though, is I'm going to be in Tucson. So I'll probably be doing it from the laptop. And, you know, I'll have to figure out uh, if I bring some recording equipment. But uh, I think I'll, I can bring my mic. But it'll, it'll just be a different view because I'll be in Tucson. But I think we could still pull it off. Uh, I like that. And maybe I'll... Uh 
you know, the weather's been so nice in Reno, I might go in the backyard, bring my phone with me, punch the game up on there and sit in the backyard and uh, have a beer while we uh, wrap baseball. I'll yeah, like that. that'll be good. We'll be change good. up our scenery. All right. So for Brad, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace.